Well, good morning. It's beautiful, chilly fall morning. Don't you just love it? Uh, leaves are looking real pretty, and uh, just my favorite time of year. And uh, just uh, even last night at the men's event, um, you know, the, the wind was blowing, um, it, the, it was chilly, the, the fire was going, the smoke was getting in my eyes, and you could smell the decomposing leaves, and th- it just was wonderful. <laughs> I just love it. So, well, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning as we are continuing our series, Rediscover Church. Uh, if you've been tracking along with us, it's been... Uh, uh, an exciting time looking at what God's Word says about the church and and our place in it. Uh, I mentioned last week that the series Big Ideas for us to discover uh, for some, rediscover for others, um, the church and its significance in our lives, its joy and power and the responsibility that we have in being a part of it. And last week, uh, I had the privilege of preaching on preaching. That was kind of an interesting topic. Uh, This week um, is probably, in in my opinion, probably the most challenging message for me to bring because I'm going to be talking about church membership. Doesn't that get you excited, you know, church membership? But that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I do hope that you brought your sermon notebooks with you and your pens because uh, there'll be no scripture on the screen. So you're going to have to be writing down the references to go along with the points that uh, I've put in the presentation. So let's ask the Lord for his help this morning. Father, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. And we thank you for the church. Um, Lord, we just love you for loving us and placing us in your body. And Lord, um, there's so much to learn, so much to, to, to glean from your word about the church. And there's no way that in 45, 50 minutes that, that I could cover it all. But Lord, I pray that what I have to say might stimulate our thinking, might increase our, our love for you and for your church and for one another, and that we might find our place in it. And so, Holy Spirit, be our guide and our teacher here this morning, I pray. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said once that, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That is his plain duty according to the scriptures. God's people are not dogs. Else they might go about one by one, but they are sheep and therefore they should be in flocks. Unfortunately, many Christians um, in the United States disagree. According to a 2022 LifeWay Research State of Theology report, only 68% of evangelicals, so this isn't talking about mainline church attenders, this is evangelicals, 68% of evangelicals, uh, only 68% agree that every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. And the statistic is about the same here at New Life. I, th- I found that, and once I read that, I thought, I need to go in and, and see, uh, you know, do, do we parallel that? And we do. Uh, here, less than uh, 65% of people who worship here on a Sunday morning are actual members of New Life. 
What's worse is 41% of evangelicals say that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for church membership, for attending services on a regular basis and being a part of the fellowship. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to challenge our thinking about church membership. And I want to demonstrate that every Christian is called to submit to the local church in covenant membership. And the way I want to do that is I, I, I want to spend time on four points. I want to talk first about, you know, what is church membership? I want to look at some obstacles of church membership um, as well uh, as some objections to church membership. And then lastly, I want to talk about what are the benefits, some of the benefits of church membership. So what is local church membership? I, I wish there was a definition right in the Bible that I could just quote to you, but, but there isn't. But I think we can derive at an understanding of what church membership is by looking, uh, really, if you go back to week one, when, when I an- really answered, what is the church? And I discussed all those metaphors about the church. I think that gives us a picture of church membership. Local church membership can be seen in the metaphor, for instance, of the church as the body of Christ, The local church is made up of individual Christians who covenant with one another as members of one spiritual body. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So the term membership may not appear in Scripture, but member and members does quite frequently. You know, the local church membership is, is in many ways like a marriage. You know, there are various types of commitments that we make in life. And marriage is one of the greatest commitments that you make in life. And local church membership is similar in that it is a formal and public commitment to a group of people who oversee each other's walk in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul likens marriage to the relationship of Christ and his church. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, he says, is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So individual Christians enter into a covenant relationship with other believers as the bride of Christ. Christ has one bride. doesn't have multiple brides. He has one bride. And this bride meets together in a particular location. Church membership is also like a family. You know, we talked about the church being the household of God, of, of us being the children of God, and that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So church membership is really about being officially and publicly recognized as a disciple of Jesus Christ before the entire assembly. It's how we formally and publicly recognize and affirm one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we, we come to understand and believe um, that, that our brothers and sisters in Christ have truly been born again and therefore a part of the family. But it's also a public demonstration of our love and our commitment to one another and the purposes of God in our church. Jonathan Lehman, in his book, Church Membership, uh, which if you come to Discovery Class, you get a free copy of, says this. He says that it's a declaration of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. It's a passport, if you would. It's an announcement made in the press room of Christ's kingdom. It's the declaration that you are an official, licensed, card-carrying, bona fide Jesus representative. In his book, Rediscover Church, he says this, church membership is a church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's profession of faith and discipleship combined with the Christian's submission to the church and its oversight. John MacArthur gives a little bit more of a detailed um, explanation when he says, to become a member of a church is to formally commit oneself to an identifiable local body of believers who have joined together for specific divinely ordained purposes. These purposes include receiving instruction from God's word, serving and edifying one another through the proper use of spiritual gifts, participating in the ordinances, and proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost. In addition, when one becomes a member of the church, he submits himself to the care and the authority of the biblically qualified elders that God has placed in that assembly. So that in a nutshell, is what church membership is. But there are some obstacles to church membership. So let's talk about those for a moment. And I cover some of these things when we go through the discovery class. And one of the obstacles that we encounter sometimes is bad leaders and bad experiences. Uh, some of us have been in churches um, where the role of leadership has been abused where you have had uh, leaders who have domineered over you. They kind of uh, acted as if they were benevolent dictators and sometimes not so benevolent. And sometimes there can be great pain as a result of that. And so we become reluctant then when we're looking for a new church to be a part of. We, we tend to view all leaders kind of through that grid, through that experience that we've had, and we, we just automatically as, assume everybody's the same, that every church is the same. And it's very, very difficult I mean, think about it just in the course of regular human relationships. If you've ever been in a, in a you know, relationship, especially a marital relationship that has gone south where you have been burned by your spouse, you know, it's always there, you know, kind of in the back of your mind, you know, is this going to happen again to me? 
And sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sometimes we go into a new church, new relationships, and, and we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the first time that there's a disagreement, the first time there's a problem, you know, we, here we go again. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. Maybe, maybe you're, you're coming through it right now. But, but, but encountering bad leaders, having bad experiences can color our picture of the church and how we are supposed to respond to God's word. But just as bad leaders and bad leadership can color our thinking, so too can good leaders and good leadership, good churches. If, if you have been privileged to be a part of a wonderful church, but for one reason, you had to move away so that you could no longer attend that church, now you tend to view every church that you visit through that lens. And, and nobody can kind of, you know, keep step with your former pastor or pastors or church or musicians, whatever it is. And, and so uh, we, we find ourselves kind of uh, isolating ourselves simply because it's just not as good as what I have experienced in the past. Another obstacle to local church membership is being an American. Being an American. I think there are some unique challenges and obstacles to church membership just simply because we live here in the United States. We pride ourselves on our rugged individualism. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. I can do it. I don't need anybody's help. I, I can grow in Christ fine on my own. I don't need the church. I know many people like that. And we have, it seems, almost a built-in distrust of our leaders. And I, I think for some good reasons. I mean, if you've been following the news this past week and just all the hullabaloo in Congress with the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, I just things like that don't engender trust in our political leaders. When we read stories of um, pastors uh, and, and other leaders who have uh, uh, fallen, it, it, it causes us to distrust it seems like every other month, you know, there's another well-known individual who has fallen from grace. We have a built-in distrust of those in authority. We, we almost have what I would call anti-institutionalism. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. I don't like the institution, the organization. It's too much of a business or whatever it is that they say. So being an American. And then there is what I think is maybe the greatest problem, that is the privatization of faith. As evidenced, and by that privatization is that we, we, we make Christianity all about me and God. It's between me and God. It really doesn't have a corporate component to it. And it's evidenced by a lot of factors, a lot of things. For instance, attending a local church indefinitely without ever joining. I'm just not gonna take that step. Or being habitually absent from worship gatherings for whatever reason. Not being in community with other believers in the church. You know, you may be a regular attender on Sunday mornings, but you're not in community with the body where you really get to know one another 
and love one another. Of course, it's evidenced when people don't serve in the church. They attend, they are a consumer of sorts, but they don't give back. Or pursuing baptism without the thought of how it's connected to the church and without thought of becoming a church member. Sometimes it's seen by viewing the Lord's Supper as kind of a private spiritual experience rather than seeing it as a corporate family meal. And what about making major life decisions without seeking the wisdom and prayers of church leaders and others in the church? You know, many, many Christians make these life-changing, life-altering decisions without ever asking for counsel and prayer. We don't even think about it. And, and part of it is maybe is we think we know what's best for us. You know, you get an offer for, for a promotion that requires you to move halfway across the country. You're getting more money. It's a warmer climate. And you, and you start thinking about it, and you weigh it on that. You don't think about, how's this going to impact my spiritual life? How's this going to impact my family's spiritual life? How's it going to impact the church that I'm a part of? Because I am a part of the body. And if I take that part away, what happens to the body? Um, I think sometimes we make up our minds. And then we'll go to somebody and we'll ask, hey, would you, you know, pray about this for me? Or what do you think about this? But the decision's already been made. Jonathan Lehman, back in the book Church Membership, says this, that the basic disease behind all these symptoms, the disease which I admit courses through my own veins, is the assumption that we have the authority to conduct our Christian lives on our own. We include the church piece when and where we please. Another obstacle is the lack of biblical teaching on the subject. And what I mean by that is not that scripture doesn't contain teaching on the subject, but that the church is not adequately taught on it. And that's something that we're trying to rectify with this series, Rediscover Church. John MacArthur says that although scripture does not contain an explicit command to formally join a local church, the biblical foundation for church membership permeates the New Testament. This biblical basis can be seen most clearly in, one, the example of the early church, two, the existence of church government, three, the exercise of church discipline, and four, exhortation to mutual edification. Now, I'm going to unpack some of that in, in just a bit, because he's given you four huge reasons uh, that on the surface, you may not see the connection, but I, I want to try to unpack that a little bit. But before I do, I want to move away from uh, obstacles to church membership to objections to church membership. And there's some overlap here. Um, first objection that I often hear from people is that, well, church membership's not in the Bible. I mean, where does it talk about church membership? And it's true that the term church membership doesn't occur in the scriptures, but neither does the word trinity. Yet both of these things uh, are seen to be truths found in scripture. 
the very definition of church as in an assembly of called out ones who purposely and regularly gather points to membership. The metaphors used to describe the church, you know, also help us to understand um, uh, church membership. Uh, the church is the body of Christ. That, you think about that. is the body of Christ. It infers that we are members of one another. Our eyes, our hands, our feet, our ears, our, our nose, they, they don't decide if and when they will be a part of the body. They just are. That's what the body is. And the same is true in the church. So let me try to show you some other ways church membership can be seen in the New Testament. I'll warn you at the outset, this is the longest point in my sermon here this morning. But I think it's necessary that we see this in Scripture. And I do hope you're writing down these references. First of all, we can see church membership in the New Testament in the fact that the majority of the New Testament letters were written to specific people in a specific location, i.e. the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, the church in Antioch, the, the, the church you know, in Laodicea, whatever my, their letters were written to specific churches in specific locations, and many of which dealt with specific issues that pertained to them. Think about the book of 1 Corinthians and the issues that Paul was dealing with there, unique to them in many ways. And the other interesting thing is if you take the time to look through Scripture, what you'll find is many times the New Testament writers actually refer to the people who are in those churches by name. Paul knew who it was that was a part of that church. How did he know that? Unless they were members there of that church. The very offices of elder and deacon assume membership. Church leaders were not self-appointed. They came from within the body. They were recognized. They were known. They had to meet certain qualifications and be observed over time. When you read in Acts chapter 6, you know, the precursor to the deacons, that they were selected from the church body, from amongst themselves. They were known. They were counted to be among them. Church authority and governance also implies membership. Just as God has given authority to the state to oversee our earthly citizenship by giving it the power of the sword, in the same way he has given the church authority to oversee our heavenly citizenship by giving it the keys of the kingdom. And you can read about that in Matthew 16, Matthew 18. The church has been given authority to preach the gospel, to make disciples. It has given them the power to welcome people into its membership and to discipline its members. And I'm gonna talk about that next week. So I don't, I don't know, maybe next week will be the toughest message to give, but we're going to talk about church discipline next week. But for now, it's, it'll suffice to say that 
if it's possible to remove someone from the church, then it reveals that at some point they were a part of the church, that they were considered members of the church. Another way that we see church membership in scripture is through shepherding. Shepherding implies membership. Church membership is implied in the way that the New Testament requires elders to shepherd God's people, those that are in their care. Now, elders can minister to people outside of the church. They ought to do that. We all ought to do that. But their first responsibility is to the family, to the family of God. Elders are charged by God to care for a specific group of people, not every Christian. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Peter writes, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, elders shepherd the flock among them. They don't shepherd sheep that are not among them, those who belong to another local church. Well, how do the elders know who is in their flock if not by membership? You know, there, there's, I may be getting ahead of myself here, but there's only so much time in the day and for half of our elder team, I mean, they have full-time jobs. And the needs within the body are, are great. So how do you know where to spend your time? What to be doing with the time that you have available? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to spend a lot more time with people who I know are truly committed to this church. People who have demonstrated a level of commitment that says, I'm all in, I'm here, as opposed to those who are passive pew sitters. I love you if that's you, but I want so much more for you than that. And I have to be a good steward of my time and my energy. Submission implies membership as well. Church membership is implied in the biblical requirement of all Christians to submit to spiritual leadership in the local church. Hebrews 13:17 says, "Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account." So believers are told to obey and submit to their leaders. They're not required to submit to leaders of other churches. But every Christian is called to submit to the spiritual leadership of the church in which they belong. And what is more, believers are called to submit to one another. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can't, can't do that if you're not a part of the body. It's, it's difficult to see how these commands can be obeyed unless one is a member of a local church. Now, in addition to all of these New Testament sightings, uh, we also need to understand something else. We need to understand that when the church began, there was no need for membership classes. 
There, there was no need for interviews, covenant promises, or, you know, the, the formal welcoming to the church on, you know, membership Sunday. Well, why is that? It's because baptism was the initiating rite into the church at the time. You know, through repentance and faith, a person entered into the universal church. But it was through baptism that a believer was brought into the local church. Baptism was the equivalent of our modern day membership. And it's easy to see why. Choosing to be baptized in the early church meant putting a target on your back. A person who identified himself as a Christ follower in baptism had a tough road ahead of them. They might be reported to the authorities and thrown in jail. They might be shunned by family and friends ostracized by their community. They might very well and most likely would have been put out of the synagogue, be hated by their countrymen. They might lose their livelihood, their home, and their country. And there was a very good chance that you would die for your faith. Did you understand that when you were baptized? No. See, a person back then would, would not choose to be baptized unless they were willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ. Thus, their profession of faith, as seen in baptism, carried great weight. And from the church's perspective, baptism was a way of identifying those people who were truly born again and needed to be enfolded into the local church. Now, keep in mind, too, that unlike today, you didn't have a church on every corner. You'd be fortunate if you had a church. In fact, until the gospel was spread, until the church in Jerusalem had been scattered, you didn't have a church. But when there was a church established, and you became born again, and you chose to follow Christ in obeying his command to be baptized, it was a no-brainer that you would become a part of the local church. There was an article I just read this week from Lifeway uh, called Why Join a Church Confronting the DIY Christianity in, the, in America. It says, while it may be possible to believe in Jesus and not belong to a local church assembly... It never occurred to any apostle that anyone would try. The New Testament has no category for a follower of Jesus who does not belong to a local church. If someone refused baptism and membership in a local church, they would not be counted as a genuine believer. How can we say we belong to the head, Jesus, if we don't belong to the body of Jesus? Good point. And unfortunately for us in the West, particularly in America, baptism no longer carries that same weight. It, it, even though it's as important as, as ever, bap, being baptized today rarely means you will lose your job or your family. It rarely means you're going to be thrown in jail, 
lose your livelihood. Here in America, the truth is the world really doesn't care what you do. It doesn't care if you get wet. doesn't care if you get dry cleaned. It just, just keep it to yourself. Keep it private. And then we have no problem. And so I think the absence of persecution, the lack of teaching on the subject, coupled with the privatization of faith, has contributed to baptism becoming just an empty ritual. It has become a religious observance of sort. And its significance and connection to the church has been lost. So no wonder so many professing Christians have yet to be baptized. And on top of that, some Christians refuse to be baptized. Even though it's the first command that we ought to obey after we come to Christ. And with all due respect to my Pado baptist friends, infant baptism is not a valid baptism. We must believe and be baptized. Not be baptized and then someday, hopefully, believe. Perhaps as the church encounters greater persecution in the future, maybe we will return to baptism, becoming the initiating rite in the church. But until then, church leaders must use other means to discern whether a person's faith is genuine and whether or not they ought to be admitted into the fellowship. And I can tell you that the elders have a great responsibility in protecting the flock. You, you do not want to let just anybody into local church membership. Um, I, I mean, the, the, the problem there can, it can be easily seen in so many different ways, but we, we see it in mainline churches today. Uh, we see it in our seminaries where you, you begin to relax the requirements. You begin to allow for, for people with divergent beliefs, unorthodox beliefs, to come into power. And, beginning, and then those organizations, those institutions begin to change. And then those seminaries start pumping out all sorts of liberal ideology. It's, it's, it can be a slow death. You know, you, uh, I, don't, I could keep going on that, but I won't. When we here at New Life present somebody for membership before the body, you, you can know we've done our due diligence. We're, we're not God. We're, it's not foolproof. But we take great pains in trying to get to know people and to hear their story and to see, you know, have they truly encountered the risen Christ? Have they experienced conversion? Are they truly born again? And, and have they truly indicated they want to covenant with this particular body? We don't do it lightly. And, and we don't take removing people from membership lightly either. So I, I hope that through this quick shotgun approach of looking at scripture that you can see that church membership, though it doesn't, the term doesn't appear in scripture, it's nonetheless assumed in scripture. Another objection sometimes, and this will be very short, that I hear is that I'm already a member of the universal church. Well, I feel like I've already covered that and answered that in the previous point. Um, 
Every blood-bought child of God is called to be a part of his body in the local church. It would have been unthinkable in the early church for a Christian to be baptized and not be committed to the local church. And it is through the local church that we actually interact with the universal church, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12. You know, when we gather here to worship together, it's not just us. The heavenly hosts are looking down from heaven. And and this mirrors what's happening in heaven. And it's, it's a picture of what will happen one day when we step into glory. Another objection that I sometimes hear is, well, I've been at the same church for 30 years. Okay, I'm not sure what you're saying. What do you mean by that? What are you saying? Are you saying that you know you ought to have made a formal commitment to your church, but now you're embarrassed to do it because it's 30 years later? What will people think? Uh, Or are you saying 30 years of ignorance uh, justifies another 30 years? The truth is, if that's you, you've just been dating the church for a very long time. kind of like a couple living together who argues we don't really need a marriage license to prove we love each other i say if you really love each other why don't you demonstrate it by having a formal commitment before god and other witnesses what's holding you back John Piper says that Lone Ranger Christians are a contradiction because becoming a Christian means being united to Christ. And union with Christ expresses itself in union with a local body of believers. Seems to us that in the New Testament, to be excluded from the local church was to be excluded from Christ. Let me conclude the message by simply giving you some benefits of local church membership. First of all, membership is a way for you to be affirmed in your faith. Have you ever wondered if you truly belong to Christ? (laughs) Have you ever questioned your own salvation? Wondered, have you truly repented in this? Sometimes we're not our best um, critic. Sometimes we're not the best one to evaluate our relationship with God. It's very, very helpful to allow other people to look at your life, to give you an unbiased assessment of where you stand. Um, there have been many times in my life when I have been very hard on myself and I have needed other believers to come alongside me to put their arm around me, not only tell me that they love me, but help me to see things that I don't see, that I can't see. And one of the beautiful things about membership is, is that when, when, when you go through the process and you stand up in front of people and you have an elder there that's basically telling everybody that we believe as best as we can tell that this person has a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is a fellow brother in Christ, that she is a fellow sister in Christ. And we regard them as such and welcome them into this body. That's tremendously encouraging and affirming. And by not doing that, you're left to be on your own and subjectivity sometimes can be your worst enemy. Rick McDaniel, the senior pastor of of Richmond Community Church in Richmond, Virginia, said this, that um, 
and, and by the way, this, this speaks to a, another benefit, and that is membership demonstrates your commitment to a particular group of people. That's another thing that it does. And he says this, becoming a member of a local church is a defining moment in your Christ followership. It is a statement that you take your commitment to Christ seriously enough to make a commitment to Christ's church in a local place. Membership is making a commitment and communicating it in a public way. And like the case with any commitment, successful people are just ordinary people who make commitments that others are unwilling to make. Another benefit is that membership affords protection and stability. Christians are involved in spiritual warfare. And being a member of the local church provides us protection against, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Shepherds are called to protect the sheep and to provide for the sheep. They also allow other people, members of the body, other sheep, fellow sheep, other committed members, they provide support and encouragement and accountability. And, and I don't know if you thought about it, but the more committed members a church has, the more stable that church is, the more secure that church will be. There'll be more people serving. There'll be more people exercising their spiritual gifts. The more needs can be met. And a stable church can weather the difficulties of life, can weather the spiritual battles. And a stable church can also take risks. They can afford to take risks for the kingdom of God because it is stable. Membership also provides accountability, as I've just mentioned. You can be a church attender and not be fully committed to a church. When you become a member, you are making a formal public covenant with God and the church to do several things. Here at New Life, there are five things we ask. Five things that, that people covenant to, promise to do here at New Life. And then the church agrees to hold you accountable and to strive together with you to fulfill God's purposes in the life of this church. The last couple of benefits that I'm going to mention, and there are more, is that membership offers additional opportunities for growth and service. You know, I tell people in, through our membership class that when you become a member, you're not just upping your commitment to this body, but this body is upping its commitment to you. You know, well, what does that look like? Well, it can look like all sorts of things. As I mentioned earlier about the limitation of time, there is an increased investment in time, in relationship with people who, who have upped their commitment. You say, if you're gonna do that, then we're up in our commitment to you. It can take the shape of additional support, financial resources, mentoring, training, leadership development, and more. You know, last year, it was, it was really neat to invite somebody from the church, I'm not going to name, you know, to, to join the elders uh, for a pastor's conference. There's another individual here in the church that um, uh, I, I've personally sent messages to, geared towards pastors and elders, but designed to develop an individual who says, I'm ready for more. I'm ready to, 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 to pursue Christ wholeheartedly and be the man that God has called me to be. 
And I think the last benefit that I, I will close with here is that membership also gives you the privilege of helping shape the future of the church. As a covenant member of New Life, you have the privilege of helping make important decisions about our future. And we want people who love Jesus and who love one another to be making those decisions. There are other benefits of being a member of the local church, but that's not why we ought to become a member. We ought to be church members because every Christian is called to submit to the local church in covenant membership. Membership is a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. I think Spurgeon was right. People are not dogs. They are sheep, and sheep need a flock to which they belong. And that begins first by becoming a member of the universal church through repentance and faith in Christ. If you've done that, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have gone to him and said to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know you died on the cross for my sins to save me from my sins and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. If you've done that in any shape and form, you believed on Christ, you've trusted in Christ um, and, and you are not yet a member uh, of this church, but you want to explore that further, I, I encourage you, join us for the discovery class coming up on the 29th. Sign up for it uh, today. Learn more. You're not committing at this point, but we want you to know what it's all about. And you're going to hear some of the same stuff over again at that class. And if you've been coming for a while and you're not yet a member of New Life, I simply ask, what's kept you from doing that? I want to encourage you to examine your heart and to prayerfully consider covenanting with this church so that it might be all that God intends for it to be. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning, for your word to us. Um, Lord, in, in many ways, it's not a typical message, a message that you would expect to hear on a Sunday morning, but Lord, it does highlight um, the beauty of your church and what you have called us to. And Lord, uh, I, for one, uh, want to be a part of that. And I know many people here do as well. And I pray that uh, wherever we are in our journey, um, that, Lord, that you would cause us um, to just be so grateful for what you have done for us in building your church and calling us to be a part of it. And may you receive all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.